Hey, what's up, y'all? I am Ofosu Jones-Corte. And I'm Leia Santa Cruz. We're the meditation coaches on The Balance app. And this is our weekly show, Well Balanced, where we explore ways to live a healthier, happier life. And today we're talking about relationships, one of my favorite subjects, but in a way that we haven't before, by diving into the neuroscience of being a parent, a partner, a, a friend. What does it mean to be close to someone? And what does that mean to your brain on a chemical level? Mm. And how can we use all that knowledge to help our relationships? So with no further ado, our guest today is Dr. Allie Caldwell. She's an expert on the brain. She has a PhD in neuroscience. She is the resident neuroscientist at Elevate, a brain training app, and the co-creator of the YouTube channel, Neurotransmissions, where she and her partner, Micah, break down the science of our brains. What up, Allie? Hi, yeah, thanks so much for having Welcome. me. Happy to be here. We're excited to talk with you, especially me, because I like to geek out on this like, oh, brain science. Leah, you, 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 <laughs> yeah. take, you take it away, because I know you've got questions. Okay. So to start, just curious if you can maybe share a personal example where you sensed that your brain chemistry was responding differently to a relationship, maybe in a way that was outside of what was normal for your mind? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as a neuroscientist, it's really interesting to be in that position of like understanding that, you know, we're people trying to make logical decisions, but we're also animals being driven by our biology. Yeah. And I think it was really especially apparent to me recently because I uh, I became a parent for the first time this spring. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I had this really wonderful labor and delivery experience with my baby. It was very empowering. But there are these hormones that really contribute to bonding that are, are your body produces to help you feel attached to your infant. And this is a literal survival thing, right? We, we need to be pushed to keep our babies alive because they're hard to keep alive. Um, and in our case, had this really empowering labor and delivery experience. But after she was born, our baby needed a little bit of extra support to get her blood sugar up. So she was taken to the NICU. And that was stressful, but it was fine until the day that we thought we were being discharged when she exhibited a concerning symptom that led the doctors to think that she might have a really severe intestinal infection, like a very deadly infection. And that completely flipped how they were caring for her. Everything became very serious. This was also right around the time that um, my hormone dump happened, which is another thing that happens after you give birth, where your hormones do this really rapid shift. And so I was having a lot of um, very tumultuous feelings at the mm. time. And so during that time, it was this really intense experience of trying to respect the doctors, had my child's best interests in mind, but also fighting this very instinctual urge to just take my baby and run away. Mm. Wow. Oh, I can relate to that as a mom. Yeah, absolutely. For me, I, I just feel like extraordinarily, you know, protective of my kids in a pretty irrational way. Like I'm, if it's a new friend, a new teacher, a new whatever, I just get like this irrational, like, what are you going to do to my child, you know, uh, <laughs> thing. And I have to like... <laughs> remember that I'm a mindfulness teacher and walk it back a little bit. So, <laughs> but um, yeah. Ali, I'm curious in general, how does being close to someone change our brain chemistry? Like what happened to me when I had children or when I yeah. met my wife, you know, like, are there patterns that apply to parents and spouses and friendships? Yeah. What happened to me when I met my best friend, you know, all, all, all that type of stuff. Yeah. Yes. Totally. I mean, 
relationships are really interesting because I think, I don't know that you would instinctively put relationship in the same category as like food or water or sleep, but relationships are critically important to our well-being. Like they're literally part of our hierarchy of needs. And we have this instinctual drive to form relationships with other people from the time that we're born. So attachments are really important. And we know, you know, like there's all this evidence that people with strong relationships live longer than people who don't have strong relationships and all of this. So it's really critical to us. And love is really complicated as a neurobiological phenomenon, especially when you start to like parse it out into the different kinds of love. Um, And it involves all of these really complicated hormones and hormone shifts. And I think the big one that a lot of people think of when they think of bonding with other people is oxytocin. And oxytocin is the hormone that um, it's really critical in birth because it's necessary for contractions. It's also a big part of lactation, and it's a big part of that bonding between birthing parent and their child. But you also release oxytocin when you're cuddling with your partner or when you're hugging your friend. Um, It's a very physical hormone. You also have uh, vasopressin, which we think of as being more about like dilation of the blood vessels. But it's also a big part of feeling possessiveness about your loved ones, of feeling protective toward them. Mm. And then, of course, you have, you know, your reward hormones, your reward neurotransmitters, you have serotonin and dopamine. So when you're engaging with the people you love, it feels good. It feels rewarding. And your brain triggers those uh, neurotransmitters to tell you, like, hey, this is a good thing. You're having fun. So it's, it's very satisfying to engage in those relationships. And that's on top of, you know, all the other neuro stuff that's going on all the time. (laughs) But those are kind of the main factors at play. I'm curious to hear more about how that shifts over time in relationships, too, because I've heard that when you fall in love, for instance, in a romantic partnership, that you get this flood of of chemicals in the brain that that, you know, the honeymoon phase and it's so exciting and you're wondering, oh, and you just can't stop thinking about that person. And then, you know, as any of us in long-term relationships can attest to that, that seems to shift over time. I'm wondering if you can speak to the the changes of chemicals or what happens as we move from short-term relationship to long-term. A lot of that has to do with sort of the change in the nature of the relationship, right? You know, early in a relationship, when you're infatuated, when you're falling in love, you've got things like cortisol, which is a stress hormone that is making you really like like very jittery, you know, kind of like anxious for the approval of the person that you have a crush on. And your amygdala is going into Mm -hmm. overdrive because you're like looking for the signs that they care about you. And your pituitary gland is releasing all of these hormones. And you've got a lot of lust typically at that part of the relationship. So you've got your sex hormones at play, especially testosterone. Uh, So that's all like happening at the front end of the relationship. And your brain is sort of engaging in this really new, really rewarding interaction with this new person. So this is a very uh, foreign thing. And the brain really likes these kinds of new interactions, new activities, new behaviors. And then over time, as you develop that stronger bond with your spouse or, you know, your long-term partner or whatever, as that bond deepens, you start to engage in these other kinds of rewarding interactions. And I think the really deep one there is safety and comfort and trust. And those are the long-term things that you might not have as much of early in a relationship, but long-term really drive that sort of change in the relationship and how it feels. Mm. And so that has to do with the oxytocin, the bonding, the comfort and safety of that person, the familiarity of them. For example, we know that, um, 
like smell is really big in how attracted we are to people and people can recognize the smell (laughs) of their loved ones. So your brain builds this love essentially into its neural pathways and into the way that it responds to the person that you care about. Fascinating. I know that for some people, when they hear about brain chemistry, it bumps up against their thoughts of free will. Mm. If we are so hardwired, how much free will do we really have in the choices that we make and in the people that we choose and, and in the decisions that we make through life? What do you say to people who might feel some kind of way Um, for lack of a better term, about the predeterminism in our brains for building these bonds with other people. And, and, you know, are we all just like predetermined chemical soups or is it more complicated than that? (laughs) Well, I mean, I'm a biologist, so I'm really big on the it's always nature and nurture. Mm. And most people think of that as, you know, being about like genes and your environment. But I also think that this, it it applies in this kind of situation too, which is to say that I think it can actually be helpful to acknowledge that you are a biological being that does not have full control over every aspect of how you feel and think all the time. Because by acknowledging that, you can then accept it and you can use that to inform how you interact with the world. So you're right, you know, like coming back to this idea about like people being able to like smell attractiveness or whatever, (laughs) just because somebody smells attractive doesn't mean that they're like a good person or going to make a good partner for you, right? (laughs) To the dismay of all the perfume and and, and (laughs) cologne companies trying to trying to portray that. Yeah, absolutely. It, you know, you might have this infatuation for someone, right? And and that attraction might be somewhat unconscious. And everybody's, you know, people talk about love at first sight. And, you know, I don't, I don't know, we could talk about whether or not you guys think love at first sight is a real thing and what that means. But as you develop that relationship, again, you're going to have this shift in how you interact with this person, you're going to learn more about them, you're going to find out, can you trust them? Do they care for you? Are they kind? You know, all of these other things that your logical brain does use to help make decisions going forward in the relationship. So it really is this like balance between the biology and the decisions that you're making and the decisions that the other person is making. And I think that that's, I mean, to me, it's kind of exciting. I understand that it could be stressful for some people to feel like they don't have total control over themselves. But I guess for me, it makes me feel a little bit more compassionate toward myself and toward other people (laughs) to say like, okay, you know what? Like I, I was not at my best or maybe they weren't at their best or whatever, uh, that it takes to kind of acknowledge that in both of us. Yeah. Like knowing Mm. that you're not completely in the driver's seat 100% of the time, I think does open up opportunities to have more compassion for what it means to be a human being. So getting into the practicality of it all, How can knowing how our brains work, how can knowing the chemical makeup of our of our brains in relationship help us to be better in relationships? So one of the things that I think about a lot when I'm, you know, kind of trying to put on my neuroscientist hat in relationships is to be able to step back and think, you know, like they have a different brain than me. Their brain is literally wired differently than mine is. And they might not be seeing this the way that I'm seeing this or understanding this the way that I'm understanding this. The way that they show love or affection might not be exactly the way that I would. And so I think that that, again, you know, comes back to the question of just having a little bit more compassion Mm. for other people. But then you can also, you know, kind of the hack here is, okay, well, we know, for example, 
you release oxytocin when you are engaging in physical contact with people. And, and there's other ways that you can do it. But bonding, you know, when you're hugging someone or holding hands or even giving a massage, like these are ways that you can trigger the release of oxytocin, which encourages bonding. So that's one way that you can kind of like hack the brain. Mm. And what about in resolving conflicts? Mm. You know, when we run into tension with each other yeah. in relationships. Yeah. Conflict is hard because in many ways, it's sort of the opposite of that, like comfort and trust. So when you are upset, you know, again, in, on a very biological level, your body's fight or flight response is triggered. You know, typically when you're really angry or sad, you know, your heart is pounding, you're sweating, you you feel very tense. And this is because your body thinks you're in danger and it's trying to figure out how to respond to that. And, you know, in, in most cases, just it's emotional danger because you're fighting with someone you care about. Um, but being able to recognize that and to understand that you're having this like deeply biological response also gives you an opportunity to harness that response and to, to react to it, right? To deliberately de-escalate how you are responding mentally, because that will start to bring down the physical response as well. And for some people that looks like saying, okay, I need to go be in a room by myself for five minutes. We need to pause this conversation and come back. For some people that might be laughing, you know, it can be making a joke in the middle of this really tense conversation with someone that you're disagreeing with and just breaking the tension. And sometimes that can be saying like, hey, let's take a break. Let's hug or let's hold hands mm. or whatever. Let's do this thing mm. that we know encourages bonding that we know can help regulate our emotions and just bring bring things back down to a more baseline level so that you can have a conversation that is not quite as tense. Start hard to stay upset with somebody when you're hugging. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean those th those those are two amazing hacks. Giving giving a hug and giving and or giving space when I was in France at Plum Village, I took what's called the five mindfulness trainings. And one of them was um, around anger. And basically it said, when I'm feeling angry, I'm resolved not to speak until my anger subsides. And so I've been trying to do that. <laughs> <laughs> and it actually really helps in, in you know, just, just even if it's five minutes, it's not like a, uh, an exhortation to suppress anger, but to not get caught up in the wave where you might, mm. you know, let something out that, um, that you can't put back in, you know. And mm -hmm. so I appreciate hearing the neuroscientific cosine of that. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point that like that being angry is still valid and like you can still have disagreements with people like stepping back does not mean not having the conversation. It just means not having the conversation in that mode. Yeah. 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 In, a, in, in a way that could create more harm. Yeah. Right. Yo, Ali, you need to be a recurring guest because I feel like <laughs> you, we should just have like a series. This is your brain on dot, dot, dot with Ali Caldwell. <laughs> Thanks for having me. I'd, I'd love to. You know, we... Um, out of neurotransmissions, we wrote a book that was published in last last year. It was just last year. Time passes differently during the COVID nineteen pandemic, um, but we had a lot of sections of your brain on this, your brain on that, different substances, different emotions, mm. um, different mental illnesses. Mm. So a lot of lot of really cool stuff that we're just really starting to learn about how the brain does all of it. It's such a, a 
wild frontier too. Mm. Well, yeah, we could talk about it forever, but I just <laughs> want to say, hey, thank you for being here and congratulations on being a new parent. Welcome Thanks. to the, the parents club. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's a it's quite the roller coaster, but it, there was nothing better than walking out of the hospital with her in the end. Oh, yay! Um. All right, Allie, so here's my question. In closing, what is giving you life right now? Um, you know, as a new parent, with everything that that entails, the thing that's giving me life right now is my community, both mm. including an online group of moms that I'm part of, as well as the parents in my immediate vicinity. We have a number of really lovely friends in our neighborhood that we have just literally, like directly across the street, just got lucky enough to have another oh, awesome. couple about our age with their own kiddo. Um, so just having that community of people to help support us during this incredibly wild uh, early parenthood experience is really uh, amazing. Well, it sounds like you got lots of oxytocin going yes. on. <laughs> <laughs> For you listening, if you want to learn more about the brain from Ali, go check out her YouTube channel, Neurotransmissions, or get her book, Brains Explained. And she's got even more on social media at Elevate App. We've got links to all of it in the show notes. And if you aren't watching this podcast yet, please go check us out on YouTube. Our channel is called, you guessed it, Balance. And we've got a link to today's episode in the show notes. Or if you're on Spotify, you'll see our video when you're playing this episode in the app. And please follow wherever you get your podcasts to make sure you get the latest audio version of our episodes. We'll be back next week. Until then... Please remember to be kind to yourself. Take care. And have a beautiful week. Peace.